Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host, but you've got to be kidding me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, and Liam will do bits and whatnot. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to the bloodiest episode ever of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornes. And Fred gets to see my two wonderful dogs in the shot, but you can maybe hear them as my oldest tries to assert dominance over the new one. Um, and with me, as always, is Fred. Ain't got nothing, Moreland. How are you, sir? Doing all right. Uh, you got the old double dog going on. Um not much going on here, just a busy week with a bunch of non-wrestling stuff, unfortunately. But, you know, sometimes that's how it goes. Um, Tyler, uh, what is the big football news going on right now? It's all about throwback jerseys. Training camp starts next week. The Vikings unveiled what they call the Vikings Classic on Monday, which is a phenomenal jersey. It's essentially a modern-day replica of the 1962 jerseys which was their second year and but it, it gives real vibes of the 1998 vikings which is the randy moss era so mm-hmm. it's real it's a really awesome jersey the seattle seahawks unveiled their retro jerseys which are phenomenal uh if you remember the kind of like the really light blue and the gray pants with the gray helmet like those are great the Titans are um, unveiled a promo video for a jersey they're going to release this weekend where they just literally poured oil on one of their jerseys because they used to be the Houston Oilers. And then you have the Indianapolis Colts who just released a shitty version of a Canadian tuxedo. Yeah, we got to talk about that Colts one because he just had me watch that. Um, <laughs> it's an awful. Funny. Yeah. It's, uh, okay, uh, it's... So the black helmet is good. I think yeah, that black looks really nice. The the captain's patch, the C, is like it is kind of made like a horseshoe, like a colt. That was cool. The heathered jersey looks atrocious. It looks so bad. And you know what? Colts fans are going to defend it because they're fans, and that's what fans do. But objectively, these jerseys are awful. And part of it is going to be because we just had two incredible jersey reveals where the jerseys are basically flawless. These stunk. Yeah, that's not um, that's not a good uh, jersey, in my opinion. Um, yeah, as you would imagine, the uh, Indianapolis Colts subreddit is uh, is uh, going hard for it. Um, well, good for them. <laughs> I don't have any particular strong thoughts on the Indianapolis Colts in general, or specifically. Uh, 
as far as a team. But these these jerseys are bad. Yes, they are very bad. But we're, we have a lot of wrestling to talk about. So if you want football takes, you know where to find them. Uh, it's in the show notes. And you can obviously ask us any questions you want on the Voices of Wrestling Discord, where we try to be active as possible. I've been giving G1 recommendations for those who uh, who want to kind of follow along or maybe cherry pick as Odie is trying to eat the bed that we just bought for Eclair because, of course, he is. It's got memory foam. It's cool. Uh, it's also not that expensive, so don't be like, whoa, you're bougie. No, we're not. Um, but let's start here. Fightful reported PW Insider confirmed an updated banned moves list. Now, this was a hilarious, the timing that it came out. Because Blood and Guts basically said, screw it. And they got to do pretty much whatever they want. We saw a couple head chair shots. We saw guys being powerbombed onto a board of nails. And then Kota Bushi did a standing moonsault onto John Moxley, who was laying on that board of nails. We had shards of glass. We had tables. We had thumbtacks. We had a thumbtack shoe, which I correctly predicted on this very show. This was great, um, but I, I, I think the irony of the fact that you had the banned moves list and then this came, this happened so quickly after is just tremendous. Yeah, um, and also there was a lot of panic when this list came out that uh, AEW was uh, going to dramatically change how matches were worked, and I think we saw that was um, not really a thing that happened. Um now, what is actually banned outright on the list are uh, pretty common sense things, and uh, there's a couple in there that I think uh, may be pretty recent that are good. Uh, specifically, I I think that they were doing buckle bombs up until pretty recently, and it's probably good that they've dropped those um, overall. Um, and uh, also, just common sense stuff like uh, no blood in the crowd or... Uh, no seizure or fencing cells granted when that happened, the highest profile. It was in response to someone breaking their arm and trying to buy themselves time so they could get together to finish a match. So, you know, you, you do the best you can in this, like five seconds of thought. But yeah, um, I think this is really not going to be a major thing going forward. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like a an ink blot test. You know, a lot of people are going to read into this what they want to. Um, but yeah, um, this got some attention and I really do think it's more, you know, very, very light news than anything else, to be honest. Yeah, I'm with you. This is really a nothing burger. Every company has this list. Every company utilizes it in different ways. For WWE, it is a, no. For AEW, there's the no, and then there's stuff you need to get approved. But I almost guarantee you, in the right context, Tony Khan would approve some of the no things. And to me, it's it, it feels like a PR gimmick more than this is bad for the wrestling company moving forward. And I just think it's a nothing burger. I really do. Yeah, um, it just very much seems like uh, pretty basic stuff. Um, 
it kind of makes me wonder, do you think this was leaked by AW on purpose to kind of respond to some, you know, recent criticisms, particularly of the seizure cell that Danielson did uh, after or during the Forbidden Door match? Or do you think that it's just something that just happened to come out? Because um, I don't have a real good feel on that, personally. You know what? That's a fantastic call. Um, I could see a situation where it was intentionally leaked by All Elite Wrestling. My guess is it wasn't. But I, 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 you know, the conspiracy theory theorist in me says that this was released right before Blood and Guts intentionally. So then Blood and Guts could just do a bunch of stuff and show it. Look, it is what it is. It doesn't really mean a whole lot because if you have the right people, stuff's going to get approved. And it was for this match. Yeah. And, um, I think another thing that came to mind was that they made sure that this leaked ahead of time so that it didn't come out after Blood and Guts uh, and distract from uh, that show. and um, Or that Blood and get... Guts was the root cause of it. Yeah, exactly. And, and it wouldn't be like people would spin it like Blood and Guts was such an awful, you know, unprofessional match that they had to institute these rules. Um, and so they're like, look, we know this is going to come out soon. Maybe we should just let it come out, you know, before this match, though. It's not a distraction. I don't know. Maybe that's a little too 4D chess. Uh, maybe it just came out because it just came out, you know, just one of those things that yeah. eventually just happened. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the big AEW talk outside of like stuff happening on shows this week. I don't think it really has too much, uh, significance, but there we are. It's a nothing burger, and let's move on. If it comes up again, we are allowed to edit our opinion based on new information. Right now, I don't think it's anything. What is something is, let's start with Don Callis. At Triple Mania, El Hio Del Vikingo beat Kenny Omega to retain the Triple Omega Championship. And afterwards, Don Callis and Takesha attacked him. Now, this was in a baseball stadium, so they're like in the outfield at this point. As that attack is going on, Callus is doing a shtick, and he gets jumped. Initially, it was stopped by a fan, but it turns out it was a cameraman who was not informed that this angle was going to happen. So and he it thought felt it turned so... into a, a real fight. Yep. He thought it turned into a shoot, and he attacked Callus, grabbed him by the neck, basically put him in a choke. Callus was treated for some minor, minor injuries, and he ended up on Dynamite tonight, so that's obviously a good thing. But what a mess AAA is. They're not just a mess from a booking perspective. They're a mess from a strategic and cohesiveness standpoint. How does somebody who's going to be a photographer for the angle, not either one, not understand that an angle is going to happen, two, not understand what an angle looks like in professional wrestling, and three, how do they not know that there's going to be an angle happening? So just in case it starts to feel really real, like – the, the infamous NWO when they play like throwing Rey Mysterio into the side of the trailer and the actual authorities got called. Like, you remember that? Yeah. Like how, how do you not have that, those kind of conversations with the people who are going to be covering your event? Just, I'm going to be honest. We'll go into this as well because it ties into it. Ray Phoenix has stepped away from AAA, vacating his AAA championships both the Latin American and Cruiserweight title. He won the Cruiserweight title in June of 2022 and never defended it. Like, 
And the Latin American. Love... They're, they're two different championships that he won at the same time. and then Oh, he won them at the same time. My bad. Just put them completely on ice. Uh, that's my understanding. Now, going back to the Callus thing, apparently it was not a... Uh, uh, the the person I'm I'm reading Cubs fan uh, his his Lucha blog right now apparently the guy that tackled Callis uh, was described to him as an ex security person who hadn't been smartened up so um, so I think that's a little different than the cameraman story that kind of was the second wave of reporting and some I I honestly granted I have been pretty busy this week and I haven't spent a lot of time following the news. Uh, super closely, but I haven't seen like a third wave of people adjusting to this information. So maybe that's underreported, but that is apparently uh, what happened. That it was just a guy that was not um, not on the you know up to date and uh, thought he had to inter you know intercede, if you will. Yeah, just it's AAA. Sometimes, <laughs> like they used to be a fun bad promotion. Where you knew it was just going to be a bunch of shit, but you had a damn good time. It was like like going to a, a, an awful Chinese buffet or Golden Corral, and you know the food's not gr- like great quality, but you're going to enjoy your time there, and the food's going to taste good. So it really doesn't matter. Well, it, it's like one of those restaurants having a downturn in staffing, and then the food just becomes even more subpar. Like that's kind of where AAA is at right now. It used to be Triple Mania was a must watch every year. Now. Uh, if there's a good match, I'll check it out. Like maybe the Apuestas match, that's now a four-way, which really stinks. It should have just been L.A. Park versus Roosh, but we all understand how politics get into these yeah. things. Like, what's the point of watching this promotion at this point? There, there isn't one. Yeah, and you know, on top of all that, we've also got the uh, situation with uh, Roosh's contract expiring too, reportedly with AEW. So. There's a lot of speculation as to... Uh, I don't think it's expired yet. I think it is soon. Uh, so there's a lot of speculation as to what that means for him going forward, if he's going to re-sign with AEW, or if he's going to get a deal from WWE. Um, honestly, my presumption on all this is that he's just using this for as much leverage as he can, because Roosh is a businessman. <laughs> he uh, very much gets that aspect of wrestling. And uh, he's going to get as much money as he can. And, you know, hopefully he uh, succeeds in that. Um, Guys deserve to get paid. So, you know, it's just a matter of where he ends up. Honestly, I would bet AEW before WWE. Uh, But, you know, I think he's been a real real solid contributor for AEW, and hopefully he does stick around. Um, So now I'm working backwards back to AAA. Yeah, they just kind of (laughs) suck these days. Like, I had no... um, a show with a main event of Akingo and Kenny Omega did not get me to buy it because I'm so down on the promotion right now. Um, I've been trying to get caught up on Lucha Libre this year, and uh, I've been—I decided, all right, I'm going to get through my AAA, you know, list of matches that look like they could be good, and I've only got two notebook matches for the show uh, headed up through April, uh, which is kind of appalling for you know what AAA's previous output was. But they've got such a great base of talent, and it just feels like they have no idea what to do with them. And so we keep getting stuff like uh, early onset Alzheimer's Vampiro working matches. Um, yeah, that look. If you want to appalling, if you want to help out Vampiro, respect. Just give him How, cash, give him, man. Give him cash. Give him an agent job in the back. 
give him like let him do commentary even though because he's of not the, good at it but i mean the shit. state of his mind because of his alzheimer's and stuff it's not great help him out that way putting him in a match is an abomination it, it, it's i'm not blaming vampiro not at all he knows he that he has to make money and he has an avenue to do so he's going to try and do it it's about the people in charge making sure that the wrestlers are staying safe making sure that they're running a good promotion a one that's done in good faith this is not good faith this is bad you should know that this guy should not be in a wrestling ring and prevent him from doing so by saying no we're not going to book you for matches this is why athletic commissions are in place if you're not capable to fight they won't let you they won't sanction it that's important stuff i i don't know how the sanctioning bodies are in mexico versus like New York is like the toughest sanctioned body in the United States of America. Vegas is relatively strict, but they also can go loosey goosey because, well, it's Las Vegas. It's they like money. Yeah, we all like money, but this is pathetic. And let's tie this all back to Kenny Omega and Don Callis. That what that attack was well done because they're trying to sell the idea, and Callis was selling it on commentary last night for Blood and Guts that. He's going to be anywhere Kenny is, and Kenny cannot get rid of him. Going down to Mexico for Triple Mania was another great way to to really drive that point home. Yeah. Uh, You know, and, um, you know, a part of this was that AEW likes to have a bit of reality in these angles, and that kind of bit them in the back when... um, when Callis got tackled, you know, uh, you try to make stuff look real and make sh- don't make sure everyone's smart up, and, uh, you know, then sometimes a guy feels like they have to tackle someone to stop an apparent uh, fight. But, yeah, um, boy, out, out, just a very silly promotion that, uh, I don't know, uh, they're in the clubhouse right now for me as the leader and worst promotion of the year. Um I don't think you can really vote for WWE for that for this year, given how hot they've been and successful, even if it's not my stuff. But AAA has just been such a mess. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, AAA is tri- uh, AAA. <laughs> That's really all you can say. Yeah. Before Blood and Guts, Brian Danielson tweeted out that he had surgery about two weeks ago. They put in a steel rod and nine screws. Fred, you I know you're not a surgeon, but you know more about the medical field than I do. So I'm going to ask you this question and let me know if you can answer it. Do they take the screws out ever? Because I know like with some surgeries, they'll take out like a few screws and like an ankle, but this is nine screws screwing in a rod in his forearm. You know, I honestly uh, don't know uh, a quick, um, a quick look real quick. Um, it looks like it's a sometimes but not always situation based off of like literally on the air Googling right now. Um, I, I don't know. Um, sometimes it's removed. It looks like sometimes it's not. Um, the reason I asked is because if it gets removed, then that's going to prolong the time yes. that he's out. Yes. Knowing Danielson, he may not want it removed and you just may say, yeah, screw it. Let's fight. Uh, and that's going to kind of tie into how we talk about blood and guts too. Yeah. And now going the other way, if you leave it in, you know, obviously the immediate recovery time is lessened, but there is a, uh, there's always an infection risk when you have 
things like screws uh, put in your body um, if they stay in. Um, so I don't know. Um, I found out about this literally 20 minutes before we started the show. So like, I, I completely missed this tweet yesterday. So, you know, I'm watching blood and guts and, and my wife's like, Hey, where's Brian Danielson? I'm like, yeah, he's, uh, he's injured, I think. And, uh, completely missed the whole announcement that he had surgery. So, um, yeah, I, I, um, if, if they are removed, I don't think it'd add like a lot of time on probably a couple weeks, probably I'm guessing. Uh, but that's a, that's a guess rather than informed information. So. Yeah. Let's continue to move on. There's a lot we have to talk about. Roosh's contract is expiring in the near future. He's already working for leverage to get the best offer he can because he's a professional wrestler and he is Roosh. Yes. Hell Yeah. I you know talked what, about you know that a happen? little bit during the the triple A block, but man, he uh, he he likes to get that leverage. He's a smart guy when it comes to this. You know, it would be one of the smartest things Tony Khan could ever do: keep Roosh, get him on an exclusive deal, and have him run Roosh versus L.A. Park, mask versus hair, at a big stadium in Mexico. That would be smart. Um, that does open up a whole lot of uh, issues about, first of all, not only poaching, what obviously Triple A has been kind of tiptoeing around doing for years now. There's a reason why it hasn't them. been done, though. Like, well, it's it's all political crap. Yeah, there's there's big politics involved between Ellie Park and Rouge um, and getting their paydays and all that stuff. And do they really want to lose their mask or, you know, lose in this match? Um, it's very... Uh, very old school wrestling in a sense. Um, plus, he added in Triple A uh, to put together shows like he does, and then turn around and spend his whole podcast blasting AEW. Uh, that's just that's to something, man. I wouldn't be me if I was putting on shitty shows. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, it, it's so many factors going on there. And then, you know, I, I think if Tony Khan decided to get directly involved, you know, maybe Park and Roosh would look at him as like a new money, money mark to try to string along. And, you know, who knows? I mean, we uh, Park and Roosh are true. Um, and I mean this in the best sense of the word, true carnies. Um, they they know how to work it like it's uh, like the bruiser, bruiser Brody back in the 80s. Um, yeah. So, you know, this is just professional wrestling needs more carnies. Let's be real here. Uh, You know, you could argue that given that it is also getting in the way of what would easily be the biggest match in Mexico possible these days and has been for several years. Uh, But, you know, they're also taking care of their own business. So Mm -hmm. absolutely. Ian Riccoboni signed a new multi-year deal with AEW. Um, This was known for a while and it was, officially reported a few days ago by Fightful. Uh, he will announce on both AEW and ROH shows. We we had an inkling that he was going to be the one replacing Kevin Kelly on Collision when he was overseas in Japan, but we didn't know for sure that this was going to be a normal thing until this past Saturday when Rick Abani was on the call for Collision because Kevin Kelly is obviously calling the Grade 1 Climax. This is awesome because Rick Abani is arguably the best in the business. You could make a real argument. He's the best of all time in the in the play-by-play spot. He's 
quick-witted. He's intelligent. He understands how to let like let moments sink in. He he just has all that nuance, and he's able to utilize voice inflection really well for excitement and uh, like depressing angles. Like Rickabani just gets it, and it's great that he's going to be in the AEW family for a long time. Yeah, and he's only been the like lead announcer for Ring of Honor for seven years, which when you consider like the length of careers of Kevin Kelly and I mean Excalibur's been doing this for at least twice as long, if not longer, for PWG. Mm-hmm. And of course Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross have been around forever. Um for for Ian to be as good as he is at this relatively young age is very impressive. But yeah, you could definitely make the argument that he's uh one of the best going right now, or is the best going right now. Um I'd like to see him, you know, rack up the longer track record before we start throwing any kind of uh, greatest of all time accolades at him. But I'm not going to throw the accolades at him, but you can at least make an argument because of how impressive he is. And his it, what's also kind of funny is Rick Abani replaced Kevin Kelly in Ring of Honor, and now he's replacing him, quote unquote, on Collision. It's it's a yeah, full it's circle. Very, yeah, very funny how those two are so uh, tightly connected. Uh, for so long now, but yeah, I mean, uh, Ian's great. Um, I like Excalibur a lot. I know not, some people aren't such big fans of him, um, but I think he's I, great. Yeah, and you know, between him and um, Ian, and uh, you still got Kevin Kelly, and I, I think announcing is about as good as it has been in the United States in a long time. Um, Chris Charlton, uh, just like English language announcing, I guess, instead of in the United States. But Chris Charlton has gotten really good as an as a uh, kind of Mike Tenay type, um, the one B to Kevin Kelly's one A for New Japan. Um, I think that um, yeah, I think there's a lot of announcing talent out there right now, and like 15 years ago, it looked really dire. So it's very cool. And to Lenny see Leonard that. somehow isn't employed. That's how much talent yeah. there is out there. Yeah, uh, outside of uh, his, he's doing the Triple A shows, right? That's a good question. I am not watching Triple A anymore. I think we already established that. But if he is, that yeah. that's at least him doing something. Yeah, I know Larry Dallas has been doing Triple A. Larry Dallas is who I'm thinking of, thinking of. Yeah, Lenny Leonard, I think is is pretty much an active, which is a shame. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of talent out there, and uh, Kevin Gill isn't doing GCW anymore, so that's that's good too. Thank God. Um, Dave Prezak's actually not bad. Yeah, Prezak's always been solid. So I do want to point this out as we're talking about announcers. Did you catch Excalibur last night during the middle of Blood and Guts reading a Shark Week Red Cross promo? Sure <laughs> did. Um, and he's, he even Excalibur is becoming self-aware of when he's having to read these promos. They look at him like, really? And it's like, yeah, I just read that. Yeah, just so great. Yeah, that was very funny. Um, uh, my wife would actually, uh, as soon as he started, she was like, "Is this a Red Cross spot in the middle of Blood and Guts?" And I was like, "Yes, it is. It extremely is." Um, oh, that's funny. Uh, but yeah, that was a a definite. Uh, this is extremely weird, but I like it. Kind of moment. Hmm. All right. Moving forward, something we did not know last week when we were talking about all the talent that hadn't been appearing on Dynamite and Rampage is that Madison Rain is hoping to be cleared soon. She broke her foot in April. 
Yeah. And that, that at least explains that. But even so, she's office. So if she doesn't wrestle, it's really not that big of a deal in comparison to some of the other talents that were on that list. And that list was bad faith anyways. So yeah. it is what it is. I had fun making fun of the list. But yeah, it was a very silly list that was not seriously put together at all. Um, shame that uh, they couldn't go with her as the first choice for uh, Blood and Gus, though. Um, yeah. So one thing that was really cool on Collision, and I love how Tony Khan starts integrating everything into AEW canon, the presenter of the Owen Hart Memorial Cup tournament was Jushin Thunder Liger, Mm -hmm. who teamed with Owen Hart in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I think in Calgary as well, and Stampede Wrestling, uh, which was Mm -hmm. run by Owen's uh, late father, Stu Hart. That's really cool. Yeah. But... It, I mean, it's it's just like it's Liger. He came out in full Power Ranger gear, and he's just Liger. He rules. It's a shame that he's done wrestling, but I do appreciate that he quit while he was still able to do five star matches. Yeah, or sorry, four star matches. Like quitting while you're still at a high level. I have a lot of respect for somebody who's willing to do that. Yeah, he couldn't do it very often, but uh, he still had a little bit of juice left, which is. Uh, like- Right about the right time to make a make that call. Uh, he had a nice uh, retirement stretch too, um, with all those uh, callback matches and everything. So that was all cool to see. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was cool to see him up there. He was barely featured at all, so you know, maybe you could argue you'd like to see more out of a Jushin Liger appearance in the United uh, North America since it was Canada. But frankly, uh, you know, it's always cool to see him, so can't complain. Yeah. All right. One more piece of news, and then we're going to get into a lot of AEW discussion. Stardom's Utami Hayashishida debuts in Ring of Honor later tonight on the July 20th mm-hmm. episode. And Fred, the go home episode of ROH television has only six matches. That's like a real TV show. Hallelujah. And Um, I will say this, something that happened after Dynamite last night, as far as the Death Before Dishonor pay-per-view, Claudio Castagnoli, after Pac walked out on Blood and Guts, challenged him to the uh, match at Death Before Dishonor for the ROH World title. They have wrestled three times before. Uh, PWG, I think it it was either ROH or Chikara, and then NXT. So they will be wrestling, and then Pac, as he accepts the match, says, oh, by the way, Blackpool is a shithole. Just, it's perfect because he's he's from England. Yeah. So he would know. Yeah, it's exactly. Great stuff. Um, Pack rules. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that a little bit more. But yeah, we actually have matches announced for this card. Um which uh, a stunning move in show promotion, never before seen. Um, but, yeah, we'll get to that card in a little bit. But it's cool that they got Utami coming over. She's one of the top uh, performers in stardom right now. Just really good. And um, I don't know. I like that main event for uh, the show. I'm going to be out of town, unfortunately. But uh, I'm going to have to watch that when I get back to TV. And uh, mm-hmm. sounds like it should be. It should Go ahead. I will say, if you did not 
not get a chance to watch. I believe it was the June match. I don't know if it was the five-star Grand Prix or not. It was um, Hayashi Shishida versus Shuri, where they went the time limit, and then they both wanted more time, and then it ended in, in a draw, a referee stoppage draw. That match was fantastic. I recommend you go out of your way to watch it if you have never. Those women beat the ever-living shit out of each other. If you drop that in a G1, it would fit right in. Yeah. Uh, those two always have great matches, so uh, I have yet to get to that one, sadly, but uh, I, you know, uh, I am sure it's great. You got a snoring dog nearby? I do. Um, I'll, I'll send you a, a picture because... Oh, yeah. Uh, I have both dogs cuddled up right next to me. Odie is a lot less jealous than I thought because Claire is a six-year-old that we just adopted Monday night. Um, and they're, they're doing really well. But, yeah, they are both cuddled up right on my leg. And it's – she just had nair surgery. So, like, French Bulldogs, when you have a smush face, they can struggle to breathe because their air, the opening of their airways is not very big. Well, when they get these dogs – they give them that surgery to open it up so they can, because the, when the soft palate grows as they get older, it becomes yeah. even more narrow. Okay, yeah. Those are very cute right now, in particular. Mm-hmm. The dogs are good. Wonderful. Doggos are good. And you know what else is good this week? The AEW. Let's talk about it. And yeah. I want to start here. Um, big picture thoughts with Collision. Fred, I'm really starting to worry about collision and dynamite being so incredibly different. It feels like we're watching two separate promotions and the cohesiveness is just being lost in translation between the two. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing for collision to feel different. I actually love that, but it feels like we're watching two completely different companies at this point while we're, I'm watching these shows. I think that is a problem and I'm starting to get a little bit concerned. Uh, I kind of see what you're saying. Um, I, I honestly haven't been concerned about it personally just because, you know, I mean, the shows are good. Um, and frankly, uh, you know, it kind of makes sense to not have like uh, one of the worst things I think WWE ever did was, you know, whenever they would insist on these brand splits and then, uh, you know, as soon as possible, stop doing them because they felt the desperate need to have their top stars on both shows to prop up their TV ratings artificially. Um, is You know, there was a several year period where SmackDown just became like Raw Jr. And, yeah. you know, I think that that's something that they definitely want to avoid with Collision. Um, I think the shows, I mean, the shows quality have been pretty damn good in general uh, so far. Um, But I do think that it's very interesting how the Collision crew has been so seemingly small uh, so far for the run of the TV show. That so few people are really getting featured on that show and they are not coming over from Dynamite at all. So I do think that's interesting. I don't think it's a problem. I think it's actually a, a kind of a sign of how strong AEW's roster is in terms of depth. Um, and I think, you know, if you're going to have like Ricky Starks turn heel as he did on Collision, then it's best to have like that be a major part of one or two big TV shows rather than, you know, have it kind of bouncing around on the mid card in both. Um, so... Yeah. You know, there's pluses and minuses. Um, the vibes of the shows are very different. 
I, I do like that. Um, and I like it better than the alternative of everything having the same feel like you do kind of get with WWE and their television shows. So let me rephrase my point, Fred. Okay, because sure, yeah. I, I think I may have misconstrued what my brain was thinking because you said you don't think it's a problem. I don't necessarily think it's a problem yet, but okay. I can I'm starting to see a trend where I believe it's going to become a problem, kind of like the snowball effect. Okay. It's slowly starting to become one and it's becoming even more noticeable for me. To me, that's the problem. Okay. And I want to see more cohesiveness. I want to see more crossover because it, it feels like we're watching two separate brands. It feels like 2004 SmackDown and Raw. And that, like, that was Paul Heyman, Eric Bischoff running the shows. And you, it was completely different rosters, completely different products. There's not enough crossover right now between the two for it to, for me to consider, hey, these are actually like the same company. And to me, that's worrisome. Yes, we did have FTR appear on Dynamite, but that's going to be a collision match with MJF and Adam Cole. We have not seen the Elite once on Collision. Like That's the core of what this company is. The It's all Elite Wrestling. We haven't even seen the Blackpool Combat Club on Collision. And albeit that's because of some stuff that's going on with the elite and that's their like those are program but i want to see more crossover i want to see i want it to be a full like, somewhat full roster for both shows and i just don't think we're getting that to me that's that's what's really frustrating and the presentation i, I like that the presentation is different but how how the matches are structured, how the talent is being utilized on these shows. I think that's more of the problem for me where I feel like this is two completely different companies at this point. And the, we're a month in, so a lot can change. But I will say we get, do get to victory lap that we were pretty much spot on as far as what the television ratings would be. Around 580,000, 600,000 and a 0.2 in the demo. That's the settle point now. So we can victory lap the hell out of that. Yeah, but sure seems I'm, to be the settle point. Um, I'm cons- I'm just concerned with the long-term vision of what Collision is, that it's going to be too different and we're going to feel like it's completely different companies. Yeah, I guess we'll see going forward. Um, I do think that they could use a little more crossover from Dynamite <laughs> to Collision and vice versa. Uh, but I also think it's a fine line, you know, um, Obviously, the elite and uh, punk don't, or at least I, I think it's really more the Bucks than anyone else don't really want to work with him. Um, and I can't begrudge them that, considering everything that happened. Uh, but you know, it's kind of a tough situation. Like either you respect their wishes and keep them apart, or else you gotta, you know, like make people unhappy about who they're working with you know and i don't know that that's really especially with the i think the bucks uh, contracts are supposed to be coming up towards the end of this year if i'm not mistaken um so considering that you know it's a big uh big you know concern 
um, to try to, you know, it's a tightrope act, really. They've got to try to keep people happy. They've got to keep these shows good. They've got to keep featuring talent on top and, uh, you know, uh, like actual drawing talent. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of factors at play. So I don't know. In general, it has not bothered me, uh, but I get it. I get the, uh, the concern. We'll see how things play out. Let's talk about these. Owen Hart Memorial Cup winners. Willow Nightingale. Yeah. Finally getting that AEW push. Wins the women's Owen Hart Memorial Cup tournament. Beating Ruby Soho, who loses in the final for the second straight year. Are we at a point with Ruby Soho where she's an enhancement talent? Or is that going too far? Oh, hold on. Enhancement talent, I don't mean a jobber. But there are some, some people like Big Show became this after his first like big run with WWE, he was like the guy that you beat to a get gatekeeper. To gatekeeper. I think that's the be- that's the right word. Is she a gatekeeper now? I mean, wasn't she kind of always? You know, I I don't think there was ever maybe briefly uh, after she first came in, but outside of that, I don't think anyone has really slotted her as a top four in the division. Um, I've always felt like Britt's been above her. I've always felt like uh, Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm have been above her. And so when it comes to that fourth spot, I guess you could argue, but, you know, even that fourth spot just feels like, well, Thunder Rosa, I think, would healthy, would occupy that, right? So, uh, but, you know, if you exclude her from this conversation, then you're left with, uh, I don't know, it feels like a bunch of placeholders, truthfully. Uh, I never really felt like after she came in that she was immediately destined to be a top star or was treated like one. Um, she was treated like a fairly big star. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, a decent name to have on television, but I've never really felt like that her treatment or push or even performances in AEW have been, I am a main eventer. Um, she's the third person, in the outcast act. I mean, if we're being honest, Soraya, though she hardly ever works is treated as a much bigger deal. Uh, because of all her name recognition uh, from WWE and everything. And, um, you know, when I watched that Willow-Ruby match, my opinion was uh, that Willow was the better worker by the end of it. Um, Now, I know that uh, somebody played hooky from watching Collision this week. Uh, Shame, shame. Uh, But... The look on your face, just messing with you. But but I mean, seriously, like I thought that match was like not bad, but far from like a recommend to someone else to watch kind of deal. Uh, and I thought that Willow's performance was better. Um, I, I just think that Willow is more charismatic, um, and I also think you could argue at this point in time that she's a better in ring performer. Um. So I would definitely slot Willow above Ruby, and I think maybe this is a sign that if they aren't fully committed to that yet, they are transitioning to that point. Uh, that's kind of where I see Ruby in the pecking order. It wouldn't surprise me if after the outcasts have completely you know, run their course and everything, and after they wrap that angle up, uh, that she ends up filling like the Athena spot in Ring of Honor and becomes like the veteran top of the women's division over there, maybe the champion for a while and, uh, kind of helps, you know, her, her job is to kind of help establish a, uh, maybe someone else coming on the come up. 
I can see that. I can see her taking over Athena's spot. I've never I seen her. On a, I like Athena a lot better than Ruby Soho too. I, mean, I do too. Ruby Soho. If I had to compare Ruby Soho to anything, it would be Tofu. Whatever she's with is what she becomes. Yeah. So if she's in with a great worker, she's going to have a great match. If she's in with a bad worker, it's going to fall apart. And Tofu is so malleable. Whatever you cook it with to flavor it is what it's going to become. So if you flavor it with really good stuff, it's going to taste good. The texture is pretty much going to be the same no matter what, unless you coat it in flour and fry it. But if you flavor it with like mint, chocolate pudding, and soy sauce, it's going to be really bad. Yeah. So Ruby Soho is tofu. Yeah. And that that's somebody she that's like the glue to your roster. People who can work really well with really good people, but you just wish she was better at elevating those underneath her. I'm I think I, she's I just fine think that. at that, but it's, it's just she her ceiling is that is just like a good mid carter, you know, and like really frankly a decent mid carter. Um due to the kind of the the dearth of women's salad in the US, I think that's about as you know, as good as it's going to get uh with her and like that's probably like in real reality like, you know, there's like Riho and Yuka Sakazaki and Emi Sakura are all better in-ring performers than Ruby Soho uh, most nights. Soho is a little like she can just freak out and have a really good performance, I think. But in general, I would definitely put her below those. So the point I'm kind of coming at, like a uh, little scatterbrained here, I guess, is that she's just very... She's not a main eventer. And, uh, you know, unless like a specific storyline leads her to becoming the women's champion... You know, like I just see her constantly stuck in the big card. Um, and you kind of want her to be more than that, but I just don't see it. Yeah, I'd like her to be more than that too, especially because I, one of the things we talk about on a general whole, and this isn't a wrestling thing, this is everywhere, is r- representation is important. And a lot of times we speak about it in terms of race in terms of sexuality to make sure that, Hey, the whole idea that everybody is equal. I also think the representation of people like Ruby Soho and Malachi black is important. Brody King as well. Those who are in like more of the punk esque, like um, style and Ruby Soho, obviously her character name comes from a rancid song and she's very punk and she's very, out there and very unique in her style. That's not something you see in mainstream television wrestling. And I think that is very important because it's not just all cookie cutter. Like, Oh, this person's just fantastic looking and it's glamorous. Well, Ruby Soho is very punk. And I like, I like that she has that in AEW. I think that's, that's very important as well. Yeah, I, I wish there was more upside with her, but like I think this is just what she is. And uh you know, there's been I guess the weirder late career developments, but you know, Ruby is thirty-two. Um, that's not like old or anything. I'm not saying that at all, but like, you know, I I think you've probably seen what she is at this point in her career. We're not talking about when she was Heidi Howitzer popping up in stardom like 
you know, however, like eight years ago or whatever it was, you know, like this is this is what she, uh, not Stardom, but Shimmer, although I guess she was in Stardom, um, briefly. Uh, but yeah, like Heidi Lovelace, like, you know, that's not, she's not on the prospect stage anymore. This is relatively close, I figure, to what she is, if not like literally it. So I just would not hold out hope that she has much upward mobility from this. Yeah. Upward mobility, I think, is good because I, I really don't think she has any either. It's a she she's just a, a really good hand to have on the roster. And it, I found it interesting that she, that she lost to Willow, considering she lost last year. But somebody has to lose. Yeah, and that that could become a decent storyline for the third year of it too, and going forward too, if they want to keep that going. I mean, you know, it's something for her to do. Um, the Owen, I don't think, is like an instant. Um, like main event push or anything once you win it. They gave it to established stars last year. Uh, this year, they took it in a different direction. I think it helped elevate Willow. Um, it'll be interesting to see where she goes moving forward. Uh, honestly, at this point, I would say that she should not win the Ring of Honor Women's Championship, uh, but she should be primarily featured on AEW going forward. It's time for her to become a bigger star and uh, getting her out of, air quotes, developmental, which is kind of what Ring of Honor is at this point in time, if you're being honest with yourself. Uh, I think it's time for her to just be a main roster AEW person. Um, by the way, you're banging your mic around a little bit, um, FYI. Um, oh, well, I, I appreciate that. I don't, I don't want the viewers to to hear any banging. It's uh, I'm not in my normal studio today because I have the two dogs and yeah. – we're trying not to introduce a Claire to the whole house yet. We want her to be very comfortable. And well, they're both snoring next to me. So Thanks. let's let's move forward and let's talk about the the men's yeah. version. And you mentioned it earlier. Ricky Starks defeats CM Punk and turns heel in the process. I want to talk about Ricky Starks' long-term future because he was over as a babyface. And now turning him heel is a very intriguing decision. I don't know if I like it, but I don't know that I don't. Mainly because how over he was as a face. This move to me, Fred, feels like we need a foil for CM Punk in the short term, so we're going to turn Ricky Stark's heel and not worry about the fact he's a baby face. I thought it should have been the other way. I thought they should have turned Punk heel and Ricky should have stayed babyface because everybody wants to boo the shit out of Punk anyways. So this decision is very interesting to me, and I want your take on it. Yeah, it is very interesting uh, in both directions. Uh, first of all, let's talk about CM Punk as a heel versus being a face. Uh, it's pretty. I think this really made it obvious that AEW really wants CM Punk to be a babyface. And they arguably are really working against uh, the crowds here to try to make this happen. Um and it's almost to like the the Roman Reigns is top babyface in WWE circa 2017 um, circumstances. You know the crowds are really booing uh, CM Punk strongly, and he's still being presented as a babyface. Now maybe there's a plan specifically with Ricky Starks where it will solidify CM Punk as a heel. But honestly, if I was uh, to bet on this, I would just bet that they just want CM Punk to be the babyface in the storyline. Um, that there were reports when he came back that uh, he actually pitched to AEW him being a heel upon return. 
uh, thinking that it would play well with uh, most of the responses he'd be getting beyond the Chicago debut. And uh, frankly, that I, I think has been proven to be a correct read on the situation. Um, the guy is getting a lot of heat in most places. There's been a couple Canadian towns he's been in that have uh, been behind him. But for the most part, he's been a pretty big, getting big reactions. And he's always getting big reactions either way. But he's been getting big heel reactions when he comes out. Um, and what's also interesting about this is that Ricky Starks feels like he just turned face. Uh, granted, it's been months now. But it feels like he really did not accomplish much as a baby face. Um, so I think that kind of aids with making it feel like it hasn't been that long of a time period. So when you add those factors together, and the fact that AW does not usually have people swing back and forth in their booking, they do not do rapid fire turns at all. When people turn, it's usually after a long period, and it's a big deal when it happens. Uh, but all that said, I think that this may be the right move for Ricky Starks, especially if it's going to lead directly into a program with CM Punk, which would easily be the biggest uh, high-profile program he has had in his career by a long shot. I mean, outside of like a two week build to uh or a two week program, even not even a build, a one week build to a match with MJF last year, like, you know, this would easily be the biggest and most featured he's ever been. Um I think with him it makes a lot of sense. I think he's really talented as a face, but is arguably even better as a heel. I think this is going to be a great breakout opportunity for him if they do, do continue with the storyline with CM Punk uh, because he'll be featured and be given a lot of promo time and his strengths are promos and selling. He's not really a big moves guy. Um, in fact, if you've watched his uh, last few matches, you know I would like to put forth to you that maybe he should retire the Tornado DDT because I'm really starting to wonder if he can pull it off correctly because it's just been a rough stretch with that move. But, you know, I mean, his matches have never been built around him doing, like, 18 impressive moves. It's been about him selling and him coming back and uh, getting the big comeback. Now, with him as a heel, that'll be very interesting to see because, you know, the structure of the matches will be less about him doing that comeback and more about him maintaining control. And I think he has the charisma to pull off a pretty basic match type of just him not really doing big moves, but just like working a guy over and cheating, kind of like what MJF does in a lot of matches, at least television matches, uh, where the focus is on the character work. Um, and I think Starks can do a pretty decent uh, match in that style. So it's very interesting to me. I think it's arguably the right call. Uh, I think, you know, he honestly, I hate this comparison because of all that comes with it. But what it does kind of remind me of is The Rock in the late nineties where he would, you know, turn heel, uh, and get huge heel reactions. And then when they were, it was time for him to be a baby face, he just basically be a heel to other heels. And I think that's kind of what, um, Ricky Starks is capable of doing. And I, I kind of foresee that being like maybe the next year of Starks is uh, him being a big heel getting over big time as that. And then when it's time for him to be a face, just have him be a heel to other heels. That's interesting. I would really like to see, and AW hasn't done this a lot. I would love, to, they did it with Brian Danielson pretty much since the, the moment he came into the company until he joined Blackpool combat club. I'd love to see him be a shades of gray guy. 
and you kind of alluded to that with uh, like the the comparison to like the like the rock and stone cold and the kind of like that whole genre of wrestling where heels and faces were very there's a lot of ambiguity there i'd like to see that with starks because he has such a such an incredible charisma people comped him to the rock just based on how he talks and his promo ability i'd like to see the real shades of gray there not like, oh, CM Punk just wants to get booed by everybody. He wants that visceral reaction. I want to see him really toe that line and work that way. I think that, yep. that could be really fun. I think it could be a great character progression for Ricky Starks, considering what he currently is in AEW. And like I think he's like 32, 33. So he's not super young in uh, as or as young as you might think he is. I think that could really work out well for him. Yeah, I mean, it's time to like make sure he's a main eventer because he's got those skills. Um, he is thirty three. Um, it's obvious that he's like he's he's a high level TV guy, hundred uh, percent. So we need to push him like one. And I think this is going to be like the real like Ricky Starks is a star and here's his push kind of moment for him. What did you think about Starks getting the win over Punk in a general sense? I, we talked about it last week. I thought it would be good to give him the rub. What did you think about him actually getting the win? Did you like it? I thought, I mean, for him to pull off this turn, I felt like it was a necessity. Um, because, frankly, he... Uh, you know, he's got to do something to become a heel. And the kind of thing that would establish him as a main event level heel is cheating out, you know, a uh, baby face that he had previously been friends with. That was a high level baby face. And, you know, turning heel on CM Punk's a lot more effective than turning heel on, you know, uh, Brian Pillman Jr. <laughs> you know, just to kick a guy when he's down, I guess. Uh, but, you know, like, so, yeah, I mean, I think this uh, is was a very logical build uh, to this position. Um, I do think that there's still some complaints to be had about, you know, Joe and Punk specifically. I still think that was a bit of a dropped uh, ball right there uh, with how they handled it and the direction they decided to take and everything. But, you know, I think this was really good booking for Ricky Starks to kind of establish him in this role. That's a really good way to phrase it in this role and establishing it. Yeah. Because it's not always about like just getting the win on a guy. It's about doing it at the right time and serving, you know, the long-term storyline plans of it. Um, Ricky Starks has to, you know, like, if Ricky Starks just beat CM Punk as a babyface and they did a double babyface match and uh, had the good old handshake afterwards, you know, that, that could have worked for him, establishing him as a main eventer going forward. But frankly, I would expect that the show, that collision would be based around CM Punk moving forward. And then Starks would be like the number two babyface. And that's not as effective establishing a guy as a top star as it is making him the number one heel on this show. And it, you know, my feel is that's what they're doing, at least for the short term, to make him that number one guy, that number one heel. And um, I think it's the good move. 
I think it's a good move too. Let's talk about the future of the tag team division. We're seem to me seemingly done with Bullet Club Gold. They beat FTR in the Eliminator match, and then they won the first fall, but lost the last two to FTR in a fantastic uh, two out of three falls match that lasted the entire first hour and then some of AEW Collision. Now we have MJF and Adam Cole. They finally hit the double clothesline on Daniel Garcia. MJF gets the pin. Immediately and... off the double clothesline. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, look, the vignettes stink. The oh, backstage boy. interactions are good. The cr- It's so over with the crowd. This may be the one of the most over things in the history of all elite wrestling, this tag team. And I'm not, I'm, I'm really not overstating it. These guys are over. Oh, the yeah. mashup uh, theme at, on the Blood and Guts Dynamite was tremendous. The matching gear, some of it's over the top. And I think that needs to continue to be reined in. But it, the fans love it. And yes. they end up beating Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara. And now they take on FTR at Collision. I think they're going to win. And I think they're going to drop the belts at Wembley. And then MJF is going to take on Adam Cole at All Out. Now, if you remember at the end of that match, Adam Cole grabs MJF's title belt as he's celebrating. He's going to give it to him, but he stares at it. And it kind of increased the tension. They got over it. But that, that's a seed planted for when that turn eventually happens. Do you think they're going to win this match? Boy, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? I, I have, honestly, I could see it going either way, so I don't have a real good feel for it. Uh, they could win the titles and have a brief run on top with them. Uh, I think it's probably more likely that they don't win them, immediately setting up the turn um, that's coming. Because one of these guys is going to be a heel uh, by like probably the next pay per view, uh, but if they did like a one week run or something with the tag belts, it wouldn't be the worst thing. Uh, they get a huge pop when they want it. I think it spike a lot of interest in them. Um, but at the same time, you know, they could make the call that this is the match to have the big turn between Cole and MJF happen, and uh, I get that. I think that's a that's a reasonable piece of booking. My question to you, Tyler, is uh, who would you have turn heel here? Because, frankly, I'm convinced at this point that we need to do maybe just for three months, maybe just for six months, but we need to do babyface MJF. Yes. Um, I think watching last night, you need to to do it. And you can always go back to heel MJF. But I think Adam Cole works better as a heel. You had to bring him back babyface. You had to. Yeah, after, after that show, long injury and the all-access, yeah. All-access was built around two things. Adam Cole coming back and baby-facing Sammy Guevara. We'll see if the Sammy Guevara thing works. I don't think it will, but we'll see if it does. But Adam Cole had to come back baby-faced. He's a better heel. He, he looks like that douchebag in high school you just wanted to beat up. But he, he got all the girls. He had all the charisma. That's Adam Cole. You had to bring him back as a baby face, but you don't have to keep him as a baby face. 
I think that's an important distinction. Um, MJF is so molten hot. Oh God. Everybody loves him. He is so good. And imagine what he could do as a baby face. The, the sky's the limit. He could be an incredible baby face. I want to see it. Everybody wants to see it. You have the ability with now six of your biggest stars in the company. Sorry, you could say eight or ten. Finally done being in the same feud. And now you can have them branch off and do other things. Yeah. Eventually, you're going to have to do MJF Kenny Omega. Oh, yeah. That's one. That's probably the biggest match on the table right now you haven't touched. They've never been in the ring together. I don't know. They never interacted on screen. Yeah. And some of that's by design. Some of that is, hey, we have other things to do with these guys. But when you look at everything as an aggregate whole, that's there's stuff to do. MJF going babyface opens up the door for a lot of different things. And you don't have to keep him babyface. You can have him be babyface for a little bit, turn him heel soon. You're not entering big show territory. And the reason why I say you're not entering big show territory, as my my dog pees on the floor, <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, Claire's not potty trained. She's six. Mm, so yeah. She has a diaper, but it got through the sure. diaper. So cool. Yeah, I'll have to take care of that here in a second. Um, Fred, like, there's so many opportunities here, and I'm I'm excited to see how that'll shape up. Yeah, I mean, it's a real open-ended situation, um, and it's really intriguing, I think. Uh, but I do think, you know, we'll get to the blood and guts here in a second, but I think Max as a babyface just makes 100% sense right now. Uh, you know, there was the whole Dave Meltzer concerned rolling. You know, maybe that's unkind, but he he was concerned last year that when they teased Max going babyface and then kept him heel, that they had blown a big opportunity and that they were going to, you know, die because they weren't able to compete with WWE's ratings. And frankly, that's not really where AEW should be expected to be right now. They're a brand that's been around for four years, and uh, WWE's got a huge advantage with a network TV show. I mean, I think AEW is doing fine. Um, that brief period where uh, they nearly matched Raw's ratings uh, a couple years ago, I think that may have really screwed up everyone's ability to evaluate AEW because that's such, I, I think so much of the onus of that wasn't so much like AEW super hot as WWE is just being booked god awful. Um, and I really do think that was the driving force behind that, even more so than anything positive AEW is doing. Um, I think AW is doing well at that point, but uh, I, I don't think that was the primary factor. So now, you know, all evaluations are like, well, they were nearly tied and now they're so far behind. You know, I mean, it's just AW got hot, you know, where before they were ice cold. And, you know, AW's not as hot as they once were, but they're doing all right. Um, through 9,000 last night, that's a good crowd for Boston for, you know, just the dynamite taping, too. Um, Anyways, I'm getting a little off track. My point is that uh, I, I I think you've got to turn Max Babyface for this Adam Cole feud. I think Cole has to stab him in the back. I think not only will that give you know the the, the inverse of it, uh, Maxwell betraying uh, Adam Cole, that's um, that's not going to get the same reaction. I mean, you know, the crowd will boo him and everything, but I think it's pretty obvious that having Cole turn is going to be the bigger heel reaction. <laughs> 
and having MJF be the Bay face is going to be a bigger Bay face reaction than if it, the, the roles were reversed. And I think they have to do it. Uh, you know, the question of when, I think that's a little up in the air. You kind of play it by ear. Um, you know, maybe do some segment next week and see how hot the crowd is for FTR versus uh, Adam Cole, Bay and uh, MJF. But, you know, I think that, you know, either you go with a short run with the tag belts or you just do a, uh, you know, a, a loss in the title challenge, then the immediate turn. Those are the two options, I think. Um, but, you know, speaking of uh, branching pathways and, you know, options for storylines, blood and guts. We're finally getting to the big match of the week. Um, and BCC is in such an interesting position right now. I they really are. Let's we could go move by move. That would take us an hour. <laughs> Longer than the match itself, I think. <laughs> let's let's kind of talk about this. I really thought the phrasing of this was interesting. The match doesn't start until everybody's in the ring. That's not true. Nobody like the match can't end until everybody's in the ring. The right. match starts with Claudio and, and Kenny Omega. So I thought that phrasing was off. And I found it very. They've odd, used that phrasing before, um, but it is it's still wrong. It is very interesting. The uh, it, it's funny because on Cage Match, you know, and you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm just saying what they have listed as the length of the match is uh, 23 minutes, and I think that's because of the you can't finish the match until it starts, and it doesn't really start until everyone's in the ring. Um. I, we'll get to the storyline opportunities here first, but there's actually one thing I want to talk with you about first, which is what did you think about Kota Ibushi's performance last night? Because it was his gonna... debut in AEW. Um, first, he's been seen really in a major American promotion or event, I guess I should say, since the original All In. Uh, he's done did a couple like GCW shows, uh, WrestleMania weekend this year. Uh, but this was this was kind of the big uh, transition for him. He looked timid because of the style of match. I wonder if he really wanted to work stiff, and if he was just it was awkward for him because it's such a different match. I'm not reading into it. I thought his GCW matches were fine. He looked rusty, but he didn't look bad. I, I gave the Janela one four stars. It went too long, but it was also Joey Janela's spring break, and he wanted, you know, to have the big match. Okay, that's fine. I get yeah. that. I'm not going to penalize I thought him. it was a well-worked match that was like 15 minutes too long, but I still went four and yeah. a quarter on it. Maybe I was just like it's, excited to see Ibushi, but still, that's where I went. Yeah, and it's Joey Janela's spring break. It's his. Joey Janela loves doing his uh, his long matches with his uh, hand-picked opponents. Yeah. And, and you know what? He books a great show. He deserves to book himself a great match. I'm not even going to complain because the rest of the mat- card was really good. I'm not super concerned about Ibushi being washed as everybody else seems to be in our office slack. I want to see him step up in more of a singles environment, in an environment is more comfortable. You could tell he wasn't super comfortable in GCW. I didn't think he looked comfortable at all in Blood and Guts. No. 
but I think by the end he started to like he did the standing moonsault on Moxley when Moxley was on the board of nails. He took a bump into thumbtacks after the match when they were doing the post-match promo last night because he's Kota Ibushi. That may be the most Kota Ibushi thing in uh, this calendar year, at least. Yeah, absolutely is. There's so many other things to factor in here. I'm not going to say he's washed. I I want to see better from him, but you could pinpoint a lot of different things as to why. So it's fine. Yeah, I, I mean, it's very interesting to me um, in general. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't rush to judge him off of this one match. I do have a couple concerns. Um, I, I think there's some legitimate questions about, you know, his uh, his ability because he is well into his 40s now. He's been off largely for a long time. Um, really, um, in fact, you know, during the couple of, uh, mania matches this year, you know, it's, he, he got injured in that, uh, G1 climax in October, 2021. And, uh, again, ignoring the two matches in late March this year, this is his first match back. Um, it's his third match back first match in four months after those it's, you know, he's got to have a lot of rust, um, He's, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of questions, I think, with uh, with him. Uh, but I think that we'll see answers to those and we'll get a feel. I, I don't think he's completely broken down, but I think there's reason to have some concern about his health status. Um, but just a big thing to watch moving forward. Now, as for the BCC, I think they have a lot of opportunities coming forward. Um, and I'm just going to run through a couple and just uh, like things that could be on the table. Uh, they could have, they could target uh, Abushi, or I'm sorry, Abushi, no, uh, Takeshita and Pac after they both uh, abandoned them during the, the Blood and Guts match last night. Uh, I think that's a pretty obvious hanging hook there. There's also the possibility that, um, you know, that you could have Danielson come back and turn on the BCC, or at least the BCC maybe turn on Moxley. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, that Moxley giving up for a partner to protect them is a babyface move. I wouldn't call him a babyface just yet. Um, I don't want him to turn babyface. I want to be a, a, an asshole. He's so good. I, I think his alignment has always been violence. Yeah. Truth be told. Uh, sometimes that's babyface violence, and sometimes that's heel violence. That's just John Moxley. Um, but you know, I could definitely see like Danielson coming back and being like, "I beat Okada with a broken arm, and you couldn't, you know, hang in there, trust your partner to escape." You let those situation. jackasses from the elite handcuff you to the ropes. Those amateurs. Um. That's, that's a possibility. And then you could either have both Claudio and Wheeler go with Danielson, or you could have Wheeler go with Moxley and be like, this guy cared about me, and Danielson never did. Uh, there's just very intriguing options there. Uh, and I think that you know could have a lot of fun booking, I think. Uh, it just opens a lot of pathways with them. They could just completely go away from these things and go after, I don't know, House of Black. Which uh, you know still has those trios championships that were supposed to be a big deal, and then have been on ice for two months until this week's uh, collision. I think it is. 
Um, I, you know, and still haven't had a major storyline since the House of Black won it. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's a interesting time for them, and uh, I think that you can do some really cool stuff with them. And like you said earlier, you know, it does free up like uh, all these top card guys from this big storyline, which I think has been a success. But it did, you know, tie them up in this certain storyline, and now they're all free, and you can do a lot with them, and it provides a lot of really intriguing avenues for you know both sides there. But I think there's a lot of yeah, there's even more interesting ways to take the Blackpool Combat Club. And I think that's a really uh, exciting aspect at the end of this match. The one intriguing thing here that we haven't talked about yet with the Blackpool Combat Club and their future, how does Eddie Kingston play in? Eddie yeah, Kingston He obviously would have, could tie into this right away because he would not have uh, abandoned Moxley. Yeah. At, no matter what. Like, they were planting seeds everywhere, especially in the, that 10-man uh, tag at Forbidden Door. Um, Moxley got pushed out of the double super kick from the Young Bucks by Kingston because Kingston mm-hmm. is still, like, Moxley's his boy, and they yeah. grew up in the wrestling together. Like, that element, you could have Kingston almost save Moxley again. And I think that element's intriguing, but I want I don't I want to wait a while until we get some real BCC um, like evolution or distrust, or, you know, because we have Danielson out. Wait till he comes back. Figure it out yeah. that you can. There's enough you can do with these guys. Maybe they build up for a trios title challenge and then they blow it, and yeah. Moxley yeah. takes the pin. And that is how you continue that story yeah, on. And that now could definitely be the catalyst. Yeah. Moxley submitting to not Hangman Page a revolution. And then you have like Yuta took the pin at Forbidden Door. But then you have Moxley calling it for Yuta and surrendering because he didn't want Yuta to die. Yeah. When he's the purveyor of violence in blood and guts, which I thought was a tremendous end. I just wish like, so there's two ways to look at it. One, I wish you would have been able to see the finish instead of it just feeling abrupt. But I also like that in MMA finishes are abrupt. Yeah. And it felt very, I I do think that makes a little sense in the visual aspect of this match, like it ending abruptly like that, you know, it's a, it's a, you could argue it's like a MMA fight. It's a, you know, air quotes, a real fight and uh, that the end would come fast. But I think that the real shame of it is that the announcing, you know, either it's the announcer's fault or the, the production team coaching them, but somebody dropped the ball when it came to the announcing of the finish, because, you know, they're just like, Oh, I guess you gave up or something and then it took like a minute before tony shivani was like the back is telling me that he uh that john moxley submitted so that yuda would you know not be hurt and that took way too long to uh to get to by the announcing team and uh i don't know i i feel like we need to have a real discussion about AEW's production at some point because that let's is have it right weakest. now okay sure that- it's the weakest point of the promotion uh it's it was fucking big- abysmal last night Awful. Yeah, you, yeah. There were multiple spots missed that mm-hmm. like the they did a picture in picture where they had Nick Jackson suplexed into a chair 
Mid-air in the suplex, they cut to another shot. Yeah. They they missed Golden Lover spots. They, it, they were all over the place. Mm-hmm. But I will say, they got a couple really good shots that it makes it from being a complete burial. The one from over the top of the cage, where it, it was like an aerial shot, looked awesome. Where they have both teams standing, one team standing in each ring. That was really cool. But... The cohesiveness is just not there. Yes, they always there's there's always a couple cool ideas that look good almost every single week, and then there's like just basic shit that doesn't look right. And Let me throw this at you, Fred, because I, I we're having this real sports discussion. Was that intentional? Because the shot, the, the, the the production couldn't follow the action, and they kept jumping and jumping and jumping. Like from a professional wrestling standpoint, it's not great. You mm-hmm. want to be able to see the action constantly, but in real sports, that stuff can happen and get get, get more of a real feel. But from a, from a just a pro wrestling standpoint, where you want to see all the action that's going on, it stunk. So I, I think uh, I, I wonder fun. how much was intentional and how much wasn't. If you're intentionally missing shots to try to feel more like sports, then you're doing it wrong. Um, That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. Not okay. I don't think they're intentionally missing spots. I think they got. It was more like we need to showcase so much of what's going on that we're going to miss some stuff, and that's fine. But we're not just going to um, hyper focus on like one duo of guys to get a move in 20 seconds, like jumping around to try and catch as much as possible by doing that in theory, you're going to miss stuff. And they can do that. Some in in like non key spots of of the match, I think, but like they, they were blowing like key moments in the match. I feel like, and this feels like consistent issue. Add in the fact that half the time the crowd sounds like crap. And like, I genuinely do not know if this is an issue with specifically YouTube TV, which is what I watch with. Or if it's a dyna- AW wide issue, but when dynamite starts, I have to turn up the volume on my TV by like twenty five notches from the sh- from whatever else was before it, just for it to be audible, and uh, it's maddening. I-, I can't handle it. But every week I have to go from like a twenty to like a fifty for for to really be able to catch like all the aspects of the audio of the show with the crowd and everything. Uh, and if I just leave it, like it's it's a very quiet experience, and it's like, why is this happening? I don't have this happen with sports. I don't have this happen with other TV shows or you know, like movies or anything else. It's just friggin' AEW. Other wrestling shows, I don't have to do this for. I, I don't know why it's like this, and I don't know if it's like just the YouTube TV thing uh, or what. But it's just every week I have to like make sure I have the remote for when the AW show starts so that I can pump up the volume to be able to hear shit. Yeah. I have that issue with Hulu. Uh, we've been watching the bear recently. Phenomenal show. Fred, did you ever work in restaurants? No, I did not. Okay. So then you may not appreciate it as much as I do because I worked in restaurants for over a decade, man, does that show great, but it's that volume thing where they really cut the volume down on the actors when they're talking for dramatic effect. And then you have to crank it to hear it. But then the next scene is just really loud. It's, it's very annoying. So I'm with you. It's, they need to figure this production out really, really quickly 
because it stinks. And it used to be like, it's never been perfect, but it used to be kind of a nice change of pace from WWE. Now it's, I mean, you have the WWE executive producer came in as Odie starts barking at Eclair because he wants to play. I, I, they need to figure this production out. But we could spend hours talking about it. I think we need to talk about the elite. The okay. golden elite. Let's start with Kota Ibushi. We talked about him. What's his future? Kenny Omega said in the po- uh, pre- um, post-match promo that this would not be the last time Ibushi is in AEW. Do we get Golden Lovers? Do we get an Ibushi singles run? Do we get trios? What do you think happens with him moving forward? My biggest question is if he's going to be full-time or if um, or if this is just like a special appearance kind of a deal. Um, I it's think It's important that's- to note he did not get a graphic. Yeah, he has not received an all elite graphic. That is very correct. Um, so I, I don't know if we're going to see him on a weekly basis. And I think that's my biggest question right now. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the plan is with him. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, will he get, um, will he get like regular storylines or will it just be a break glass in case of emergency for anything related to Kenny Omega slash the elite right now? I, I don't know. And I think that's, you know, kind of, I don't have a feel for it. I don't think there's any real hints at this point in time as to what the plans are. Um, and I'd love to have some information on that, but I think we're going to play a very secretive and I just don't think there's a way around that. Yeah. I don't know if what the way around it is either, but I'm, I would love to see Kota Ibushi more in AEW. And I think you'd see some of that rust and tentativeness come off of him as he gets more comfortable within the promotion. Look, he came in cold to a blood and gut show. He worked what one Gleet show and the two GCW shows prior. That's Just a pretty a ballsy ones, I think. Yeah, he's scheduled for Gleet. That's right. Okay. That's a pretty ballsy move to not have like any kind of real warm-up matches before you go into blood and guts. Yeah. That's why I'm going to take it easy on Ibushi until I get more information. It's- yeah, and also with Ibushi, I mean, you know, he, he's got the reputation from all the crazy stuff he did in DDT and, of course, all that stuff. But, like, really for the, for the large last chunk of his career, it's, it was in New, New Japan, which is a very traditional kind of promotion without many big gimmick matches like that or any, really. So... I mean, that's got to be a big adjustment for him, too, on top of just getting back in the ring. Um, I'm not ready to throw him out as, like, you know, I'm not ready to say he's washed or anything, but I have a little reason for concern, I think. And it's just something to monitor going forward. The reason for concern is real, and we'll see what that ends up meaning in a long-term play. Let's talk about the Elite. There was, they had some really cool spots here. Joe Gagne shared one from a War Games. I think it was Fall Brawl 95, where they had like a guy set up like in between the ropes, like hanging, and they did a move on him. I'm like, wait, I'm just thinking to myself, and I tweeted at him, wait until the Young Bucks do this on Wednesday. And they didn't, but they had some cool spots. Matt was on top of the the cage and poured thumbtacks down below. And then they got Claudio and pack in uh, on back body drops. That was cool. They had the, the, the shoe from, I think it was from Tiffany's 
with yeah. the thumbtacks in the bottom. Yeah. That was awesome. Um, Nick, I think, took this bump where Pack like scaled the cage and then dropped with a foot stomp through a table. That was that crazy. Was dope. I thought that was the craziest spot of the match, to be honest. And it wasn't even that crazy in comparison to some of the other stuff. Omega. God bless Kenny Omega. That man does not need to take nail bumps, glass no. bumps. He had his hand stepped on as it's on a board of nails by John Moxley. He's he's fucking Kenny Omega and he's doing all this stuff. God bless him. God bless him. Like the man is true to the art. And it was awesome to see him really show that kind of display. Hangman Page was awesome. His interactions with Moxley are great. That I think is going to be a big generational feud in this company for a long time. I I don't think they'll revisit it for probably another year or so when one of them has the belt. But this match encapsulated so much violence, so much raw emotion, and the spots were just awesome. I can't even like name half of them. There were just so many cool ones. Uh, this was just fan freaking tastic. Oh. Kenny got a uh, Snapdragon on Pac. And Pac, like, landed on the top of his head. Did you see that? I did. Um, it's It was a wild bump. Um, Pac always takes these crazy bumps. And, uh, you yeah, know, he uh, did one here, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's... This was an incredible match from the perspective of the elite. And now with the elite, where do they go from here, Fred? Because you have Kenny Omega is probably going to go feud with Takeshita and Don Callis. Do we get golden lead stuff? Because Chris Jericho is probably going to be with Don Callis now. Who I'll be honest, as far as learning American television wrestling, is there a better person in this company that Takeshi could learn from than Chris Jericho? Not many. Um, I, I do think that um, it's, you know, it's interesting to see where they go from here because I don't think there's an immediate, um, immediate hook for them. And that's kind of unique. Um, I actually think the hooks for the baby faces are, uh, are less, um, obvious than the heels or the bcc i guess depending how you want to quantify them now what i find very interesting right now is that aw twitter does not appear i i may have missed it but they have not um uploaded video or anything or acknowledged the after the match uh, embrace between the golden elite and the bcc so i think that's just kind of an interesting thing to pay attention to um uh it's it's you know it's it's interesting um i don't know where they go from here because there's not an obvious hook they can always go after the tag belts um you know they have a long-term issue slash situation with adam cole that hasn't been brought up since his return at all um they could go for the tag belts i guess there's always that for them um, but I don't, I mean, do they transition to a proper feud with Dark Order? That's a little weird given they've already done two matches, but I would imagine that they... They're one and would, one, though. They are one and one. That's, yeah, and since Dark Order won the last one by cheating, I would imagine that the uh, 
the elite would want to go after him, um, them for, you know, spring them over. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of questions there that I don't think has much in the way of, a, you know, a clear information. And yeah, I guess I'll say I got- this. I, I think the Bucks FTR could be an all out match. Yeah. Because then you'd have like you have to sell two pay-per-views. And it did come out that there may be a package to buy both of them for a cheaper price. So if you sell them both for 85 bucks instead of each singular for 50, it saves the consumer 15 bucks and AEW's guaranteed 85 up front. Considering they're making an eight million dollar gate for all in, I don't think they're super concerned with how much pay per view revenue it generates because yeah. they've already eight million bucks. That's a lot of money. Yeah, if they drop down to like a hundred buys, which would be below their floor so far, I mean, I think they'll be all right. Uh, I, no, I'm no. not saying that they don't want to sell it. I'm saying, oh yeah, yeah, but it's it's less it's pressure more I guess. than normal. Yeah. I, I and I think combining it with all out because I think all out's the one you have to worry about as far as mm-hmm. sales. Even though I said yeah. they're not going to be worried about all in, it's all it's all one essentially an eight day period. I think, now, like, just if you can sell a total of two hundred fifty thousand pay per views over the two weekends, that's a massive success, and I think you're very happy with that. Yeah. Um, now, what I think would be is a possibility that I think would be interesting is uh, if, and it's on the table, uh, I don't know if we'll get there or not, but it's on the table is if the young bucks um, or actually, I'm sorry, if MJF and Cole win the tag belts and then the young bucks challenge them because it does tie into the issues with Adam Cole and the young bucks. Um, It is entirely possible that the Bucks could go heel in the near future. I I don't think there's like a clear driving force for that, but you know, there's always the possibility since they just finished a big storyline as baby faces that they may they could always flip, I guess. Um, But they could align themselves with Adam Cole and uh, be the heels in a storyline with MJF. I don't know with babyface MJF. This is completely fantasy booking at this point but like it's just something that i see as a possibility when i stop and think so what remains to be seen you know if anything along those lines gets pursued i'm definitely not guaranteeing that that's a likelihood at all but could it happen yeah possibly that's kind of the intriguing nice part me, I think. the nice part about this is expect the unexpected there's so many directions this can go and as great as the elite versus VCC was Fred, it tied up too many great talents to do just this, which is I, one of the reasons, in my opinion, why some of the other feuds in this company just felt off. It didn't feel up to par. Well, it's because you have all your best talents in this one mega feud, which ended up being great by the way, but it leaves something to be desired for the rest of the company. I'm very intrigued to see how this evolves. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of uh, possibilities now that, you know, you assume that all these guys are freed up and there's a lot they can do with them. Uh, some of them, some paths are a little clearer than others. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how they follow from here. Um, now, just to toss out some snowflakes here, I went four and a half on Blood and Guts this year. 
I nearly went four and three quarter, but I, you know, I, I'm of the opinion if you're thinking between two two grades, then you should go with the lower one. Uh, and I actually had the uh, collision tag higher at four and three quarters. I thought that was a great match. Um, one of the better tag matches I've ever seen and uh, really lived up to the possibilities of those teams. Um, I also gave uh, three and three quarters to uh, Hook and Jack Perry. I thought that was a really impressive performance by Hook as a wrestler. And You're I think Jack Perry is... What's that? You're a coward. <laughs> And I also thought, nah, this is a little short of notebook for me, but I also thought Jack Perry looked way more comfortable (laughs) as a heel, which was nice to see. And I think between those two things, like I'm happy about the results of those. I saw in our office, like so many people lauding Hook's performance. Hook was great. Yeah. Jack Perry was great too. Jack Perry's always been a good wrestler in AEW, I feel like. Uh, the, the issue with him has always been the charisma slash character work aspect. Of stuff. He looked so much more comfortable playing a heel he than he did a babyface. I, look, I don't, he still has to work on the talking. The mannerisms, the confidence, it's there. And I want to see him take that next step. I want to see him elevate his game. He, it's going to take a little bit for him to get used to wrestling as a heel, as far as like the move set, it's just going to be inherently different. That how you. I, I thought he worked well as a heel country. last night, though. So. I, well, I, I thought he did too, but I also thought it was important to note that I don't like it. It was good now, but you have to be great if you want to really go next level. Yeah, and that's that's where he's gonna have to. Oh yeah, work left out. to do for sure, but. Yeah, Yeah, it's going to take him time to get comfortable. I think if he keeps getting more and more comfortable, um, and I think that's a a good possibility, you know, a a good, um, well, a good opportunity for him to really improve and show out. And uh, that's pretty cool, I think. Uh, It's always cool to see guys get these, you know, like Ricky, Ricky Starks is definitely having one too. Kind of these big uh, diversions points in their careers where it really kind of defines their career if they're successful here or not. And, uh, you know, with two younger guys, I mean, Starks is in his uh, early 30s, but t- still two guys that can be really core components of the AEW roster moving forward. I think this is a really exciting opportunity for both of them. And I can't wait to see what happens. Me too. Uh, I think I think that's everything, Fred. We've got some stuff to run down that's planned here. Um, this week on Collision, there's only, I believe it's only one match announced so far. Yes. We're going to get more on Royal Rampage, who is going to get a TNT title shot at All In. And I, from what I heard, it's a very good opponent for Luchasaurus, so I'm excited to see who that is. I have not been spoiled, and we will not spoil you on this show. I think you mean Christian. He's the the TNT champion, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) Yes. I love that gimmick so freaking much. Um, He is great. Um, All the jokes in this past week, and there's been way too many to give anyone credit, because a lot of people have the same thought, but the idea of Christian Cage perking up when he first saw the Nick Wayne promos, the the pre-tapes, like just like leaning forward in his chair, like oh yes, next, next. Uh, just really <laughs> pleasing to think about. Um, yeah. So uh, here's what we have coming up this Friday on Rampage. It's going to be a must watch. 
because of the Royal Rampage. Um, if you don't remember the Royal Rampage, it is a it's a unique battle royal where it's basically two battle royals in one ring, and then they they wrestle it out to get a winner. Um, Marina Shafir takes on Chris Atlanta for the TBS title. The acclaimed mm-hmm. Daddy Ass versus QTV. I hope we get a good Harley Cameron promo segment because she rocks. Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor is also this Friday, July 21st. Pack versus Claudio Castanelli for the ROH World title. Dalton Castle or Shane Taylor versus Samoa Joe for the ROH World Television title. That's a uh, that's that's the finals of an Eliminator tournament that is finishing up on tonight's Ring of Honor TV. Yep. Daniel Garcia versus Katsuyori Shibata for the ROH Pure title. I am expecting Garcia to win that. We'll find out. Willow Nightingale versus Athena for the ROH Women's title. Best Friends versus The Kingdom versus Aussie Open. That, Mark that's Davis Mark is Davis healthy. Versus the champion Lucha Brothers in a four-way for the ROH World Tag Team titles. I hate that that's a four-way after they literally just did a ladder match, but that is what it is. Collision has one match announced. We'll find out more on Royal Rampage. House of Black versus the acclaimed Daddy Ass for the Trios titles, continuing that story that they want to give uh, Badass Billy Gunn one more title before he retires. Dynamite has one match announced. And that came during a, a backstage promo where Darby Allen asked for AR Fox to get a chance at the international title against Orange Cassidy. And Orange Cassidy's like, nah, we're bros. Fine. And that's that. There is a lot of unknown for this company over the next four or five weeks before we get to all in at Wembley at last update from WrestleTix, I saw it had reached this across the 75,000 barrier. I have not seen anything updated since I would expect by the time they started announcing actual matches for the show, we are going to creep up to 80, 85,000. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting to see just how much more business they can do because they've already done so much business. It's yeah, preposterous how big. Because I asked the Slack this, and they 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 kind of disagreed. I don't think there's a match outside of a mega dream match you can announce that would move, significantly move tickets at this point because they've already Oof. sold seventy five thousand. It's not like they've sold five thousand, and then you add oh Omega Okada five, and then you sell another twenty. So many people that are already going. I've already bought tickets. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many at this point you're going to actually you're going to move because you add a single match, like just whatever match that you want to throw out there. Adding one match is not going to change ticket sales that much, in my opinion, at this point. And I think not, I disagree with you. If it doesn't. Okay. What match do you think is going to significantly move ticket sales from where they currently are sitting? You've already sold 75,000. Okay, first of all, let's define significantly. They're not going to get to six figures. I mean, I think that exceeds the size of the building. I'm talking what, match is, move, what match is going to move over 1,000 tickets just by its announcement. I, I don't know if there a is a realistic number. one. Um, Adam Cole and JF, if they turn, if there's the, if they do the turn before it uh, and really jumpstart a singles angle, angle between the two, um, I think you could potentially do something with like, I mean, a lot of them will revolve around like MJF or CM Punk. I mean, the obvious answer that isn't going to happen because it's not realistic is like CM Punk versus Kenny Omega or something like that. Like they're just not doing that right now, um, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, but I think, um, 
maybe CM Punk MJF could do that. Um, I think uh, I think maybe Kenny Omega and uh, MJF would do it. I think they'd have to build something to okay. get there. I'll, it doesn't make sense. I will current, give you that with the current booking, but I, you know, I think that um, I think those would be the ones. Uh, maybe Moxley CM Punk. Uh, I'm not doing any Brian Danielson ones because they're not on the table. I'm not doing any New Japan ones because that's outright fantasy booking. What about Osprey Omega three? What if they did that? I think that would uh, that would move some tickets. Osprey is already in town for the Copper Box show for Red Pro the night before facing Shingo Takagi. It feels like an inevitability that he's going to book. I don't know if there's going to be much more like main event New Japan talent coming over like Okada. I would not be shocked by like Suzuki or Shibata, who isn't really New Japan. Um, but I, you know, have to say that every time, I guess. Um, or uh, you know, like uh, Satoshi Kojima, who I think is cool. It's always cool to see him, but you know, it's not like he's an active New Japan made of internet to speak right now. Yeah, I... there's a small number. There's a couple you can do that I think would would move tickets like that, but. I don't know what they'll do. Um, I, you know, it feels like a great place to do Omega Osprey three. Would that be rushed? I don't know. I mean, there's no reason they couldn't make it a four match series instead of just a trilogy, and, and do Wrestle Kingdom That's next not year. Usually, how Gato books. And wasn't Naito and um, wasn't there a Naito four match feud? He's, He's done, done a, a lot of times. threes. He's done a couple fours before, I think. Omega like, you, Okada was a four match series that also occurred in eighteen months. True. True. So you had Wrestle Kingdom, Dominion, G One Block Final, and but then that the was next also Dominion. the counterpoint that was also constrained to one promotion. So this is bouncing between yeah. two. I don't know. It's but the, you know, uh, AEW's te- like if you want to get super technical, it's like a co promotion. They're partners. So yep. that matters here. It's not like we're booking Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay in House of Glory. Right, exactly. So I think or something. that matters because AEW canon is now New Japan canon and vice mm-hmm. versa. Yeah. So I, I don't see Gato allowing a third match if he already has a match planned for the Tokyo Dome, which is my guess. I wouldn't be surprised if they split, you know, they were like, okay, two matches for AEW, two matches for New Japan, and they're accounting for Door and... Uh, all in as the AW ones. I don't know. Uh, to be seen. It's going to be a fun few weeks. We've already yeah. had a really good start to the summer for All Elite Wrestling. And now we get to really ramp up the build for All In. There is no official match as of yet. And they've already sold over 75,000 tickets. Phenomenal stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. If you were listening on the Voice of Wrestling podcast feed, thank you. But please consider subscribing to our feed, where last week we were the number one wrestling podcast in the country of Turkey. We are butterballs and proud of it, baby. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at The Real Forno. You can follow the show on Twitter at GoodBadHungi. Uh, you can follow all of my NFL work at The Vikings Wire for USA Today, VikingsWire.USAToday.com, and Vikings First and Skull, my YouTube channel, which is in the show description you can also subscribe to fred's patreon which is currently paused but we'll be coming back with a lot of analytical data about the world of professional wrestling that is also in the show description and thank you very much for tuning in if you have any questions feel free to 
get in contact with us, email the show at hungypod at gmail.com or join us in the Voice of Wrestling Discord where we have our own channel. Thank you very much for tuning in. Have yourself a blood and guts day. Take care, everyone. Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling NOAA. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps.